morning, I want to start by asking a question that we just sang, but don't spiritualize it because then you might be lying to yourself. If it's true, answer it. But often in life, we humans start the day or the week or when we walk around town and say, oh, I need something. Like, for instance, I need that item of clothing. I need that new toy. I need that. And it begins to capture us. So as you're thinking through your morning, what is it in your heart right now that you're saying, oh, I need that? It's kind of what I want us to consider this morning as we look into the scriptures. If you brought your Bibles, I want you to open. Uh, I'm going to fly through a bunch of content in a very short passage because I want to invite you to wrestle with, to consider memorizing, and to ask the Lord to help you live out the truth of the verses that we're going to look at today. Two weeks ago, we began our series, For This We Have Jesus. How do we handle the difficult things of life? And we started with stress. How are we doing two weeks on? Well, I'm still a hypocrite. I still wrestle with stress. But I've got better ways of handling it now, uh, and I'm learning as I go. This week, we're going to look at how do we deal with the unexpected? How do we deal with that word churches are so good at? You ready for it? Change. Mike, this is different. I'm not used to this. I'm not comfortable with. How do we deal with discomfort? And this guy named Paul, pretty smart guy, he had life completely figured out. So much so that he knew exactly how God wanted to follow him, and that was by persecuting followers of the way, because that was the right thing to do, and that would please God, because they were clearly worshiping a false god. Then he took a walk, and he headed on a road toward Damascus, and literally everything in his life changed, because he came face to face with the person of Jesus Christ, and he realized For the first time in his life, there is more to life than following the law. There's a relationship here that I have been missing. And his focal point on how he lived his life changed completely. So years later in his ministry, he's having to write what is uh, really actually most likely Paul's third letter to the church in Corinth. There's one that he refers to that we don't have evidence, uh, or we've got evidence of, but we don't actually have the letter. But in his third letter to the church in Corinth, the church that he begs, would you just learn to love each other? Would you learn that we are in this together? Would you learn that God gave each of you gifts and you're supposed to use them together to build up the body, to do all these things? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they struggled with that a little bit much like we can. And Paul was trying to encourage them because not only was that happening, but they were also beginning to wrestle with the reality of persecution. The Roman world was changing and it was not Christ-friendly. This thing called church, being a Christian, was brand new and people didn't know how to handle the change and how to deal with that. Paul himself faced such unexpected opposition that you got to think sometimes he cried out like the sons of Korah did in Psalm 42. God, hello, can you hear me now? 
Are you around? You called me to this, and I said nothing surpasses your greatness, but really? Are you sure this is what you had for me? 2 Corinthians 4 is where we pick up today, and I'm going to start in verse 5. And I want you to process with Paul what he's thinking as he deals with difficulties of life. He says this, he says, for what we preach is not ourselves. Praise God that it's not me. But Jesus Christ as Lord and our, ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And then you skip down to verse 16, and he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our and we're not going to like this next part. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Lord, open our hearts to how you would teach us to know just what it means to deal with change, to deal with the unexpected, to deal with the unpredictable, and to deal with the hard stuff. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, I owe you all a thanks because you sent Isaiah and, off, and, and I off last Sunday and we headed to Chengdu and Chongqing for a week that we did not anticipate was coming. And I'll share more about that as we go on. But we arrived safely on Sunday night, had an adventure with a taxi, but you're not in China if you don't have an adventure with a taxi. So all was good. We got to our hotel. It was called the Relax Hotel. It was not relaxing. It's great. I stay there every time. And the next morning we got up and it was time to have breakfast. And Isaiah and I were to meet a, a family that we know and love, uh, Don and Michelle and his two girls, their two girls, Hannah and Jesse. One of them I'm committed to betrothing my son to because they're such wonderful young ladies that <laughs> Isaiah needs that young lady. They're perfect together. I don't know how Don feels this way or not, but but anyway, in the course of getting there, we arrived before Don and Michelle. And so we're, uh, and Don had texted me, go ahead and order, we're running late, no problem. Uh, Isaiah and I are relaxed, we've got all day, no worries. And so the waitress comes over and speaks as much English as I speak Mandarin. Uh, and so we began to do our very best to communicate that I wanted an Americano. 
If, if, you know, if you know Starbucks and Americanos, two shots of an espresso with some hot water. Pretty easy for me to say, but gafe uh, megwa does not mean what I think it means in Chinese. And so by the time we finally got it right, um, she handed me my coffee and I was so excited that I was successful, largely because I pointed at a picture. Um, but I said, oh, salamat. And, and she looked at me, and, and Isaiah looked at me, and I said, oh, I mean, kap kum kap. And she looked at me again, and I said, oh, um, guy. <laughs> and at this point, I'm so flustered because I have now thanked her in three different languages, none of which she understood. And, and Isaiah looks at me, and he says, Dad, it's xie xie. <laughs> and the girl looks at me and says, uh-huh. <laughs> and she responds with, thank you. And at this point, I am done. There will be no more Mandarin spoken this trip because I have failed. There is to be no success. And I am flustered. I, literally, my hands were shaking. I was like, this shouldn't be that embarrassing. Language learning is humiliating. It's meant to be. That's the whole Tower of Babel. It was meant to confuse and befuddle uh, because we thought we were better than ourselves. Well, I proved that I know nothing and did it in four languages wrongly. But out of that came this moment of, ah, I just got to calm down. And that was a, a foolish little thing that didn't matter. And actually, I, I went to that restaurant three more t- or two more times after that, and that waitress remembered me, and we uh, enjoyed, and uh, the coffee was always right thereafter, and all was good. But things happen in our lives that can fluster us. They can be little things like language. We're an international church. All sorts of languages are spoken on any given morning. And those were just the four that came out of my mouth that, sun, that sat, Monday. See, I can't even remember what day it was. But there are also big things that we walk into that we don't know what God is doing in the midst of this. And we don't know how to handle that situation. And that's what I want us to look at today is that we can know exactly how to handle what life throws at us. And there are keys. So we've got to start by asking ourselves the question, how do we handle the unexpected and the difficult? Every one of you in this room will deal with something this week that you did not expect. You know, it's going to come. Maybe it's a big thing, maybe it's a little thing. But you can't live along other people and have everything go exactly as planned all the time. Change is inevitable. So when it does happen, how do we deal with it? And I want us to move through just five types of knowledge that we need to make sure we have that Paul points us to is he dealt with much bigger difficulties than us, and he called them light and momentary. You realize that? Paul, a man that had been beaten, bitten, spit on, had to run for his life, had been verbally mocked, had been persecuted in every way, and he says, these are light and momentary troubles. And I was stressed and troubled by the fact that I couldn't speak the right thank you in Mandarin. There's a difference in perspective. So what do we know first? Well, we've got to know where our treasure is. Paul says in verse 5, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And then he goes on and he moves in to verse 7. 
And he says one of these famous lines that you hear often. Uh, in fact, there's a Christian band named Jars of Clay to remind themselves that they are not the answer, that it is Christ in us, the hope of glory, that is the answer. Our treasure is not in ourselves. Two weeks ago, I told you, you are all a masterpiece. And I still believe that to be true. That has not changed, but you did not make you. God did. The treasure isn't in the fact that you are amazing. It's that we have an amazing creator. And our treasure is in the good news of Jesus Christ that empowers us to live full of the Holy Spirit and walk through life whatever it may throw at us. The good news of Jesus Christ, also known as the gospel, was just remembered as we remembered him through communion. The good news of Jesus Christ says, my treasure isn't in the things of this world that will pass away. If you've been following along, and I'm always going to try to do this as we go through this series, but I'm going to tie us back to what we've been reading as a church in our McShane Bible reading. You just finished Ecclesiastes. And throughout Ecclesiastes, you come up with all of these pursuits of man are meaningless apart from the wisdom of God. Paul says it slightly different. For I consider everything rubbish, but for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So if we want to understand how do we face change, how do we deal with the unexpected, it starts with where is our treasure? Do we think that when we come to a problem, we have to fix it ourselves? Because if we start from that point, we've already started off on the wrong foot. We've already put our foot in front of the Lord. Now, he might give us great responsibility in the, sit, in the situation and the change. And he might ask a lot of us, everything from seeking out reconciliation, from backing off and letting things play out, both of which can be equally difficult. But we won't know that if our treasure is anywhere but placed in reliance of the good news of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to get us through the moment that we find ourselves in. We have this treasure. But what did he put the treasure in? Broken people like you and me. So that we don't think that it's about us. We don't think that in us there is great power. There is in us great power, but it's not us that gives that great power. It's the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. The power lies with him, not with ourselves. Because when Paul fleshes out his idea here, this is all a sub-point of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. He would say that in Romans, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. Okay? In other words, you and I are dead. But once was dead is made alive through Jesus Christ and what he has done by giving his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins and rising again victoriously that death has lost its sting, death has lost its victory, and we can have an eternal relationship with our Most High God. And so we've got to know not only where our treasure is, but where our power lies. It's not in ourselves. No matter how smart we are, the solution to our problems is not in and of ourselves. It's in dependence on the one who is greater than us. 
How does Paul say that? Well, here he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. No matter what is thrown at you, in in a few weeks we're going to talk about temptation. I'm not going to do that on Mother's Day because it seems depressing. So next week we'll divert and and we'll come back the week after that and deal with temptation. Next week we're going to deal with relationships and the hard things of relationships on Mother's Day because all of you were difficult on your mother at one point or another. I promise. And I have been as well. Uh, So that's where we'll be next week. But this idea is is quite profound. The all-surpassing power is from God to get us through whatever we are brought forth. Because when we think about temptation, we're told also by Paul in 1 Corinthians, in his first letter, no temptation has seized us except what is common to man. A similar thought to these light and momentary troubles that we find here. But then he goes on and he says, but God will not give us more than we can handle. And he will provide a way out so that we can stand up under it. That is just as true for when we deal with change and when we deal with adversity and when we deal with opposition and difficulty and persecution. Paul is wrestling with real things and his first two knowledge statements are know where your treasure is. I am in Christ, the new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There is nothing more important than knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again and again, Paul always points back to grace and peace of knowing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Every single one of those statements were not Mike's words. They they were the word of God that says it's about him. And we want to get through life We have to know him. He is the greatest treasure we could possibly imagine. The second thing is he will give us the power to overcome anything. We won't do it on our own. The third thing that he points on, and I know I'm going to move pretty quickly because I want to invite you to pursue these on your own, but we have to know what we are not. And here's how it happens. And this is what I mean by this. And I'm going to tell you some stories. But when difficult, difficult situations come, this begins to be how we communicate. Oh, I'm so hard-pressed. I'm so perplexed. If that's a, a big word for you or hard-pressed doesn't make sense. Hard-pressed literally means it feels like pressure is coming in at you from every direction. You ever feel like that? You walk into a situation and you just feel the tension in the room. And you're like, oh, I don't want to be here. That's hard-pressed. Perplexed. Confused. I don't understand this. Persecuted. Maybe we haven't faced the persecution that Paul has where he was stoned, he was beaten, he was bloodied. But people mock you. People don't respect you. People don't associate with you because they know that you believe differently than they do. And they let you know that they don't respect you. Struck down. You've been beaten down. You've been falsely accused. You've been mocked. You've been treated unfairly even though you've tried to live the right way. This man, Don, that I was telling you about, has faced an interesting situation because for three years, things had gone so well in his workplace Then, unfortunately, the situation changed at the school. Enrollment was down and different things happened and they needed this thing that we often call, and it's a biblical term, a scapegoat. You ever hear of a scapegoat? 
It's the one where we're going to put all the blame on them and let them carry it, and we're going to make sure everybody knows it. And that scapegoat had become unknowingly at first, but it had become Don. And he could have said, I've been struck down, I've been persecuted, I'm perplexed. Well, he did say he was perplexed. But he could have just wallowed there, and that's what we often do. And if I sit down with many of you, we get really good at this column. We get good at being confused, at hard-pressed, at perplexed, at feeling persecuted, at feeling struck down. And it was interesting because Don looked at me and he said, yeah, the situation isn't fair, but I've lived here long enough and I've lived in this world long enough to know that there's more than this. And then he began in his own words to say these things. He said, but I'm not crushed. I'm not in despair. I'm not abandoned. I know who's got me. And I've not been destroyed by any of these things that have been said about me. How do we respond? We camp out over on that left column. We are perplexed. We are hard-pressed. We are persecuted or we're victims. We feel like we're persecuted. And we wrestle with that. And we forget that what Paul has really said is, yeah, that can happen. But we are not. You know why? Louis Giglio says it this way, we are not crushed, despairing, abandoned, and destroyed because we know I am. How did God introduce himself when he was asked? He said, I am that I am. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am. I'm in control. I am sovereign. We are not crushed. If we begin to wrestle with the tension that comes from change and difficulties that are beyond our understanding, don't try to act like they're not there. That's not real to who God has created us to be. But lay them firmly at the foot of the cross and affirm before God and man that this will not crush me because I know the promises of God's word. Listen again to what the, the sons of Korah had to say when they felt like they had been forgotten. Every time they cry out that they've been forgotten, they respond the same way. And it's amazing. Twice they say it. First, right after, right after he says, as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to these things, how I used to be able to trust. Why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Then he says, why have you forgotten me? And what does he say at the end again? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My situation does not define me, God does. We are not defined by the injustice of what's happening around us. We are not defined by the medical conditions that we don't know how are they're going to play out. Speaking of, many of you have asked me, how is Dory doing? Dory was discharged from the hospital yesterday, and we rejoice in that. She has not been defeated by the sickness that she faces. Does she face an uphill battle? Absolutely. But she's following the Lord and she's continuing to rejoice. And that's what she said. Thanks, Lord, I'm home. And she told Melissa that she's just so happy to eat her dad's cooking. <laughs> you see, the situation feels so dire to her right now, but she's not perplexed. She knows who's got her. The situation feels out of her control, but she knows she's not abandoned. 
because she knows who she is and I am has her right where he's called her to be. Do we believe that? Or do we believe the lies that we are perplexed, persecuted, struck down, and hard-pressed? Do we camp out and let those identify us, let those become who we are? Because here's what happens when we begin to believe those lies and we begin to put ourselves in high-stress environments, other people are brought into the wake of that identification and we respond in negative ways to them. There's a book written for pastors and you know what it's called? Well-intentioned dragons. It's when people in churches mean well but end up hurting others by helping. And it can be a dangerous thing, but in the midst of change and in the midst of struggle and in the midst of pain, if we get caught up over on what's going wrong, we miss sight of the promises of who he is and that we will not be overcome by the ways of the evil one. And so we do it on our own strength. And Paul is reminding us that even in the worst of times, I am not overcome because I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able. In all things, he is able. Do we believe that? That brings us up to the next one. And I, want to, and I want us to look here because we skip down to verse 16. I know I'm not covering all of the depth of this passage and that's okay. I want you to. Uh, and I want you to enjoy the depth. But this, this idea of not only do we know where our treasure is, not only do we know where our power to overcome comes from, not only do we know who we are not, but we know who renews us because we can feel broken. We can feel defeated and overcome. There are those times. Uh, I arrived, uh, Isaiah and I had an awesome train ride between Chengdu and Chongqing. All was going well. We'd had good talks. It was a good Monday. And on Tuesday, we arrived uh, to uh, much confusion in a few different ways. But by Wednesday morning, we'd found out that one of the team members was having heart problems. Uh, and you'll, you'll get to meet Faith after the service, I hope. Faith is a part of the Chongqing teaching team, and she's with us today because she came down because we had to medically evacuate a wonderful young lady named Lori. You see, Lori has had a heart condition most of her life, and in so doing, to make a long story short, like some of you, she's had a pacemaker, uh, which is a wonderful invention, right? But it's not when it doesn't work properly. It can be life-threatening. And so the the team was in a position as as Isaiah and I walked in thinking we know what's going on, having no idea of this, by the way, uh, what to do. But God, for such a time as this, put pieces and people in place to make sure that there was a way for Lori to safely get down to Adventist where a cardiologist was ready and said, no problem, we got this. She landed at 2.30 on Friday and had seen the cardiologist by 4.30 on Friday and had surgery on Saturday and is doing great today. Isn't that amazing? No, I'm a day off. Yeah, she was recovering yesterday. She flew out Thursday. Surgery Friday, recovering today. But one little thing changed everything and how she felt and how her body functioned. She needed rebuilt from the inside. And many of you that knew what was going on have been praying with us. I'm sorry I didn't share that globally. I had very limited internet. Uh, And so you can ask us more about how that all works and communication challenges that comes from that. 
But what was great was that I knew my AIC family would jump in and help out. And the elders and the staff did just that to make sure. And Faith was willing to come with her. And all these pieces were helping to make sure that the body of Lori could be renewed to a safe and healthy person. But in the same way, we malfunction all the time. And we keep trying to read a self-help book or we keep trying to read and fix ourselves ourselves. And we keep trying to solve things and tell everybody else, this is what you need to do. This is how to fix yourself. And trust me, I am that guy. When you deal with change, psychologists say typically there's two ways you address change uh, internally in your... um, in in your mind. You'll do it first by seeking rigidity. You know what rigidity is? It means seeking a very logical and laid out plan. The more stressful the situation becomes, the more ordered you are going to seek to make everything in your life. Another way psychologists will say that is to demand control of whatever you possibly can grab control of. Okay? That's one group of you when change comes. And by the way, you might deal with it at different times. Some of you might demand control in this one, but not this one. Because the other group are the chaotic thinkers. Now, that doesn't mean you live your life in chaos. But it means when things go wrong, you seek relational solutions to problems or you seek what are called non-linear solutions to how things are dealt with. And so those that demand a plan want to know this is how it's going to go. And those that demand to understand that there are people walking with them wonder why you are pushing them so much for a plan when I just need somebody to know what I'm feeling right now. Have you been married? You know exactly what this looks like. If you're not, you've had family members, relationships where this happens. Don't try to fix me. I'm only trying to help. And that, can, that circle goes around and around. In the same way as those relationships need renewed Inwardly, we can get so caught up on identifying with what's pressing in on us, with the difficulty that we're facing in our struggles, that we forget to give it to the Lord. Remember what we learned two weeks ago? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, all who are carrying the weight of the rules. I love this. Psychology 101 says Jesus knew exactly how to meet the needs of every person that was coming to him. Those of you that felt like the chaos of life was too much, come to me, you who are weary those that felt like the order and the rules and the legalism and the the need for structure was too much to bear, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And then Paul even invites us to be renewed. Therefore, and this reminds me, this will forever remind me of my friend Lori from now on because we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. I'm pushing a certain age that my wife keeps reminding me of on a daily basis that things are going to change in my life when I cross into my next decade of life and it'll be great. Inwardly, I'm being renewed because I'm growing deeper in love with Jesus Christ. I'm growing deeper in how to live out that love and hopefully invite others to do the same. I'm growing to be able to say, you know what? I can rest in this moment and contribute whatever God has given me to contribute for such a time as this. I may not have to have all the answers. I may not have to stick my nose into situations they don't belong, but sometimes I may have to be so bold to do just that. 
but I don't have to control which is which because the Lord will guide me every step of the way. And he will renew me and encourage me even in the midst of the most unfair, unjust, or unbearable of circumstances. I haven't suffered like Paul. Please don't make me out to be a victim. I've had a great life. But I have felt pressure. I have felt like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with this? And I've had to learn the best thing to do is say, for this we have Jesus. It is he who overcomes. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day as we commit it to him. What's that change you're facing in life? Is it a change in status? Is it a change in control? Is it a change in relationship? Is it a change in which language you're saying thank you in? All of these things can be laid before Jesus, given to him, and trusted that he will renew us, that he will guide us through that change. He's not saying it's going to be easy. Please don't misunderstand me. This isn't Mike's five steps to fixing and simplifying everything in life. This is Mike's five steps to obeying what God's word tells us to do when things get tough and even when they're not tough. To know that it's all about him and not about us. The depth of that is so great. Because if you've, if you've learned anything about photography, you've probably learned a thing called the rule of thirds. You ever hear of the rule of thirds? Every photo should be broken into three grids on a piece. And our eyes are always drawn to a natural focal point. So here, let's pause for a moment and let's, let's go ahead. What is the focal point of this room or what should it be? There we go, thank you. A couple were pointing and if people were afraid to be wrong by saying the cross, that is the right answer. The focal point is the dead center of the room, the thing that draws attention and light, right? In the same way, what is our focus point in life as we deal with change? What is our focus point in life as we deal with instability, as we deal with insecurity, as we deal with persecution and injustice, all of the ins that aren't fair and aren't right? Well, our focal point is that we are living, as Francis Chan says, and you hear me keep saying, I'm building a life for the next 10 million years, just not the next 30. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving. In other words, God has you here on purpose. You might have dug the hole, but he's going to let you learn from it. And he's going to let you learn to depend on him through it because they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not in what is seen. It can feel so big, whatever that problem is right in front of you, that you can't see past it. How do you deal with that? Close your eyes. And say, you are with me wherever I go, Lord. For this, I have you. If you can't see a way past it, you're looking too hard. You may have noticed there's something new on my face. I got new glasses while I was in China because they're cheaper. And the thing was, as I've been preaching, my cool little super optic yellow sunglasses that look like a tennis ball, yes, that's on purpose, uh, they made it hard. So you would notice that every Sunday when I tried to read the Bible, I would have to go like this. 
to look down. And so I wanted bigger lenses. The focal point was changing, and now I can see the Bible. And I think I look pretty cool. But that's beside the point. But the point is the focal point changed, and I could see what was right in front of me because I got the help I needed. (laughs) Isn't that what we all need, essentially? For me, it wasn't closing my eyes in this case, but the object in front of us can seem so big, so insurmountable that we forget that these are light and momentary troubles. Please don't misunderstand me. Your troubles are real. And I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to say your hurt isn't real. I don't want to say you shouldn't cry. You shouldn't be sad by this. You shouldn't be troubled by this. But I do want to say, make sure you know whom you have believed in. Make sure you know who overcomes this momentary trouble because it will not last. Are you a child of God? If so, your treasure is secure for all eternity. Do you understand that? Our treasure, the good news of Jesus Christ, salvation, the exact thing the sons of Korah were crying out for, our Savior, has been secured through what Jesus Christ has done. So when we come to those things in life that we do not understand, know that it is not your job to solve it all on your own. It is your job to trust that his all-surpassing power has been given you for such a time as this. Know that your identity isn't marked by that problem. You are not the problem in front of you. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, and it is He who overcomes. You will be renewed. If, there is an if. You won't be renewed if you don't seek Him. You need to understand that. If we run away from God, He kind of lets us. He will continually chase us and remind us that he's here. But he invites us to trust in me. For I am going to build a place for you, is what Jesus told his disciples. He also told them, don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. You're going to have troubles, you're going to have trials, but I've already got this. And so today, ladies and gentlemen, If you don't know who Jesus is, he's the one that said, I've come to seek and save you who are lost, you who feel like you can't get out from the mud and mire from whatever you're finding yourselves in. Psalm 40, it is he who lifted me out of the miry pit. It is me who lifted me up and I will sing a new song of praise to my Lord. Jesus says, believe in me and you will be saved, not just for this situation, but for all eternity. And for those of us that already know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, my question is, are we depending on him first? Or are we solving it first and then saying, oops, now I need you, God? That song we sang, oh, I need you, when does that come? Does that come first or when all human logic has been exercised? God does not begin at the end of human reason He transcends human reason and says, I'm right here all the time. Come to me. Be renewed, for I have already overcome whatever it is you're facing. We're going to prepare for the offering this morning, and as we do, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward.
And like I said, uh, I spent a wonderful week with Christian workers serving in some difficult situations. And in each one of those, I came away encouraged of seeing God at work, even when there didn't seem to be a solution right in front of us. Sometimes that meant just stepping away and waiting. Sometimes that meant a hug. Sometimes that meant laughter. Sometimes it meant radical measures that included a medical evacuation. But in every one of those situations, it was God that was guiding and leading and delivering because he has already overcome. Will we trust in him with whatever it is we're facing right now? I just read in the newspaper yesterday that uh, some of you, if you bought a house in the last year in Hong Kong or a flat, that your loan is now worth more than the value of your house. It's called negative equity. And that's a very scary thing for young people just starting out. We don't have negative equity in eternity with Jesus Christ. Our debts have already been paid. We have the eternal riches of God before us. And he who called us is faithful to do that which he has invited us to and placed us here for such a time as this. We're going to pray for the offering. And as we do, let's commit that we will not be overcome by the cares, the worries, and the fears of this world. But we will be renewed day by day through the working of the Holy Spirit, transforming us as we seek his word and his guidance in all situations. Lord, I thank you that I don't have to trust in myself. I thank you that I don't have to have all the answers. That I know I have Jesus in every situation. And I will follow wherever you will lead. Thank you for how you delivered Lori safely this week. Only you could have done that in miraculous ways. Thank you for how you're restoring broken relationships. Thank you for how you've brought new life uh, in that we get to to see uh, on a weekly basis. Thank you for giving us each other that we can walk together bearing with one another. But Lord, above all, thank you that you have overcome and you tell us we don't have to do this on our own. Forgive us for trying to. Forgive us for trying to be the problem solver apart from you. And forgive us for being passive when you call us to act. Lord, may our dependence be only upon you. May we be people marked by prayer, not just for the missionaries, but prayer that we would do nothing out of what you have for us to do. Now, as we give our tithes and offerings this morning, would you use those to strengthen workers from Lavina to Joyce and Henri to our teams in Chongqing, Chengdu, Nanjing, Bulacan, uh, and many other places, Lord, we tr- in Cambodia, we trust you with their lives. And I pray for us that as we walk tomorrow, hopefully for a day off for many, but then as we walk into work on Tuesday, that it would be a day where we let your light so shine before men, but people see you in us, the hope of glory. That we have not been defeated because we know that the power is yours. In your name I pray.